to V-Back Birth Stories, a podcast where Australians share their journey to a vaginal birth after cesarean. We are a safe haven for women to share their own V-Back journeys and through these personal experiences, educate and empower listeners. I'm your host, Mel. And I'm your host, Steph. And this is V-Back Birth Stories. Hi everyone, in today's episode we chat to Michaela, a mum of two living with her husband in Brisbane. Michaela always wanted an intervention-free birth and so decided in her first pregnancy to hire a private midwife to help her achieve just that. Unfortunately, circumstances changed and her birth turned out to be the complete opposite of what she had envisioned. Michaela highlights the key difference between her first and second birth and what she learned along the way to her healing home birth after cesarean. Steph and I are very grateful to Michaela for sharing her story with us. We really appreciate her straight up honest nature and sense of humor. And with that, there is a slight language warning for our listeners. Please enjoy this episode. This episode of VBAC Birth Stories is brought to you by Calm Birth. Calm Birth education courses provide the tools for couples to prepare emotionally, mentally and physically for birth, whichever path it may take. The unique thing about Calm Birth is that all registered educators are midwives, doulas or trained birth professionals. The program is founded on research taken from neuroscience, midwifery, obstetrics and epigenetics, making the program evidence-based from top to toe. Calm Birth has close to 100 registered educators across Australia, New Zealand and France. It's suitable for all birthing couples really, so whether it be your first, second or third baby. So if you'd like to learn more about their courses or find an educator, simply head over to calmbirth.com.au. Mel and I are proud to have Calm Birth on board as VBAC Birth Stories first sponsors. Not only do we really believe in their mission to support couples towards calmer and more positive birth experiences, but we've heard firsthand from our own guests on how Calm Birth helped them on their VBAC journeys. Calm Birth believes that with knowledge comes confidence, and we must say that we agree. I do hope that you enjoy this episode of VBAC Birth Stories. Michaela, did you just want to start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your kids and where you sure. live? So yeah, my name is Michaela. I have two children, uh, Lucinda, who's two, just turned two, and Dylan, who is four months, and we live in Brisbane. Oh, and my husband, sorry. <laughs> He's a part of it. Um, <laughs> my husband, Rod. <laughs> and it just feels like you're doing it all on your own as a woman, you know. It does. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, no, he, he pitches in. And we live in Brisbane, Queensland. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your ideas around childbirth before falling pregnant? I guess you get this stuff from your, your mother to some extent, like that lineage. So my mum had two natural births with my sister and I. Then her narrative was, you know, it's something that really, really hurts, but it's really, really worth it. Like you get this incredible gift at the end of it and you don't really remember the pain. And so I guess I always just felt like it was something I would get through and something I'd be able to do because it was something my mom had done and her mom had done. And, you know, I carried that strength on some level. So yeah, it was, and natural birth was always appealing to me. I was never really interested in trying to numb the experience or be shut off to it. Do you want to tell us about your pregnancy with Lucinda? Yeah. 
Yeah. So my pregnancy with Lucinda was dreamy. I was very excited to be pregnant. Like I got pregnant for the first time in my life at 36 years of age. So I'd been waiting a while to be a mummy and I was really keen to be a mummy. And I felt more well in my pregnancy than I ever have before. I think because you just take, I took such good care of myself in pregnancy. I felt really entitled to be like the most good to myself that I'd ever been in terms of movement and food and rest and boundaries with work. I sought out a midwife really early on in the process. I knew I didn't want to be, I knew I didn't want to be in the medical system because I don't really trust the medical system. And I had, I knew my philosophy around birth was that it's not a medical event. Sometimes we need medical intervention, but ultimately it's a physiological event that women have been doing for millions of years. And I think my research had led me to believe that when medicine gets involved, it often kind of detours the process more than helps. So I sought out a private midwife and I, I kind of was straddling two worlds though because I still kind of wanted that safety of being in hospital or the perceived safety. And this midwife was able to support me in hospital. So we did like lots of home visits and home care, but I knew that at some point I would go to hospital in my, in my labour and she would meet me there and support me there. However, the, the further I got into my pregnancy, the more that actually didn't sit well with me. And I talked with my midwife about having a home birth and my husband, kind of like it was sort of seemed like a big leap at the time, but he was really on board. He was not sort of too bothered by being in hospital or not unbothered by being in hospital. And my midwife offered that as a part of her service as well. And so probably around the 20 week mark, we all got excited about having a home birth. And I was like excited about that because it seemed like something that fit with my philosophy around birth. When you said that you had distrust of the medical system and hospitals, where did that come from? Comes from probably my history with the medical system and just probably just my philosophy, like or just my values as a person. Like I believe that we have sovereignty over our bodies. I think that a lot of the health industry is around keeping us unwell like there's there's money to be made in the, and it's a capitalist system more so than a health promoting system i'm a psychologist myself so i'm an allied health professional and i guess i even saw that in my work like people make money when people are unwell for long periods of time probably. and had you had any previous experiences <clears throat> in hospital that had also given you those ideas yeah i'd had experience in the mental health system Okay. So I'd had experiences of powerlessness, not being able to, not, not, not being able to, but my decision-making being taken away from me or my capacity being doubted. And that, that very much influenced my willingness to be in the system, definitely. And mm. um, I guess, and if, in a, it's, it's a whole other story really, but in a nutshell, I was on the pharmaceutical merry-go-round and under the care of a psychiatrist for many, many years, probably 17 years of my life. And at one point I was deeply depressed. And at one point I just said, this is crazy. Like I'm, I'm so unwell on all of these medications. I need to come off them and see who I am without them. And I did that. And that was a really big life experience. And I, for the first time I got some really good quality therapy as well. And I've actually been a more, I've been a more well and mentally stable person without the system and not on medication. That's quite interesting. So, yeah, so I really claimed myself, I guess, and that experience of doing that mentally, I carried that over to the physical experience too. Like I didn't want anybody to tell me what was going on with my body uh, mm. because I truly believe that I'm the expert on my body. So, so yeah, 20 so, weeks? Yeah, we're all on board for the, for the home birth. And then I think at around probably 25 or 28 weeks, somewhere just before 30 weeks, my midwife was like, 
she's not head down and like maybe move around a lot at this point, but she's never really been head down in the times I've palpated you. And I was like, okay. And around the 30 week mark, so I started doing a bit of research into breach at that point. I over-researched in my pregnancy with her. Around 30 weeks, my midwife was like, okay, we want this baby to be head down. Like it's pretty important in terms of the, the model of care that she was offering. It needed to be minimal risk you know like I was signed up to a birth center I had to, I would I would very easily risked out of the system if we had any complications and she knew how important it was to me for me to home birth so she was trying to encourage I guess the circumstances to be as optimal as possible for that so I kind of just I think for about a month I was still working I kind of just like sort of tried to trust that things were going to be okay you know like she'd figure it out she'd go head down eventually but I could feel her head pushing up under my ribs the whole time. Like she was head up for, for a really good portion of my pregnancy. So, yeah, so I finished work around the 34-week mark. I just I wanted to have a month off before she was due to arrive to settle in and nest. And, and I spent that month doing acupuncture, moxibustion, swimming, cartwheels, upside down on ironing boards, spinning babies, you name it. I tried it. I did everything in the book to try and get her to turn around. And the stubborn little thing didn't. <laughs> she knew which way she wanted to be. So that left me at a really tricky crossroads at about the 36 or 36 week mark, I think. My midwife and I consulted with the hospital and I got a lot of fear around like the complications of breach and, you know, um, cord prolapse. And they wanted to admit me at that point. And I was like, no way. Like that is my definition of hell on earth being in a public hospital on like on a ward with other women and not having access to good food, good quality sleep, you know, yoga that I was still doing, like all of the things that were supporting me, they wanted to take from me at that point. And I just went, nah, no way. <laughs> Are you insane? Like, so that was, that was also really confrontational and pretty challenging. It was another, it was a, a very tricky experience. I felt that, that experience of being like disempowered and like, we want to admit you to hospital. It's like, wait a minute, like it's my body, my birth, my pregnancy. I get to decide that. And had you otherwise been feeling fairly well, considering it was your first pregnancy? Um, Absolutely. Like, yeah, you were quite positive about the whole experience and it sounded like you had a good relationship with this private midwife um, yeah. and there were no other issues there that, that were concerned. Nothing at all. So it all seemed really scary and unnecessary to me and and like I said just those real fear tactics I guess I had this women's intuition or inkling that cesarean might be a possibility for me given the trajectory I was on and if that was the case the idea of being left alone in hospital with my newborn baby absolutely terrified me and I wanted my husband to be there in that experience with me if, I, if that was what I was going to have to do. Michaela, yeah. your yeah. hospital were not trained in breach birth and they no. didn't refer you to any any other hospital that might no, have it wasn't, anyone? It wasn't given to me as an option. There is a hospital further north from where we are that was doing some breech birth stuff, a bit more open to it. But it was, you know, yeah, a 45-minute drive from us, whereas this hospital was 10 minutes, you know. So, And it wasn't, it wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't given to me as an option. It was sort of just, I, I, I found out about that afterwards. After your cesarean or after? Uh, no. I did my own research around that. Oh, my midwife, actually, my midwife told me that that's what they were doing. So I, I consulted with a private obstetrician that a few of my friends and family members have actually seen and they all had said to me, you'd really like her, she's great. And she was, but I never wanted to be under the care of a doctor. So it, 
I had to make all of these concessions, I guess, in terms of what I had envisaged and what I ended up with. And I never, I never feared birth. I wasn't afraid to give birth. I wanted to labor. I wanted to like be the first person to touch my baby. I wanted that real, you know, natural experience. And that just kept narrowing and narrowing for me, sadly. And I think I kept fighting against it instead of leaning into it, which kind of makes sense why I ended up on an operating table in a sense. (laughs) So I consulted with a private obstetrician and she discussed my options with me and we decided to do an ECV to try and give me that still like hold on to that hope of having a natural birth. And she was kind of doubtful that it would be successful given that Lulu had been, you know, in that breech position for probably 10 weeks at that point. She'd never flipped, but she managed to turn her. We, we had a successful ECV. I didn't find it particularly unpleasant. It wasn't like you know, the fav- my favourite thing, but it wasn't awful either, as some women describe for me. She stayed head down and then that obstetrician went on holidays <laughs> and I got transferred my care, I guess, to one of her colleagues. So now I'm like having wanted to do a continuity of care model and realising that that was going to be important for me in terms of psychological safety. I was up to my third caregiver in British pregnancy. And again, a lovely obstetrician, a lovely woman, but someone I had no connection with that I was, you know, meeting with at 39 weeks of pregnancy. I found that really, really difficult. So because your baby's now head down, did you have to still have a connection with that hospital or could you just go back to being looked after by your private midwife? I could have gone back to looking, being looked after by my private midwife. But things got a bit tricky with her and I when I decided to go and get the obstetric help. I think that was a bit challenging for her. My husband used the analogy of she's been in the game the whole time on the field and now you've suddenly benched her right before full time, you know? So Um, was she she willing to support you in a vaginal breech birth or what was her position? she couldn't do that because of the regulations, you know, like she couldn't do that. They won't do that at the both birth centre. And I did ask the obstetrician about any doctors in Brisbane who would support me doing a vaginal breech birth. And she was like, ooh, I only know of two obs that do it. One's about to retire. He's really old. Mm-hmm. And the other one, something, something, I can't remember. But it wasn't like, yeah, I'll refer you to a colleague who could help you with that, you know. It was mm-hmm. sort of like dis- discouragement. Dis- yeah, okay. exactly. And I have to say, I don't, I didn't feel... The first time, mom, I didn't feel good about doing a vaginal breech birth. I just something about me, something about it was like not confident. I guess mm. I felt confident mm. about birthing a baby head down, but all of a sudden, being feet first, I was like, nah. <laughs> I probably have less fear around that now. I think in terms of understanding, well, my understanding now is that it's a variation of normal. But at the time, the way I guess the the system that I was in and the people that were talking to me, it was a big deal. You know, it was a problem rather than something unusual so my midwife had kind of backed away and I didn't feel supported by her anymore so I kind of just kept running with the obstetrics care and at this point too I'm sort of I'm paying for two models of care too so I had to pick one that I had to subscribe to in terms of costing and how I was going to finish this process you know so I ended up sticking with the obstetrics as I said the lure of being able to have my husband stay with me in hospital was really appealing because things had gotten scary and far away from my vision. And I didn't have that option with the midwife in the public hospital, but in the private system I did. And it sounds like such a minor detail, 
but it comes back to my own fears and part of my wounding, I guess, is that feeling of being alone. That's quite terrifying for me, particularly when distressed. Yeah, so around, I think around 30, actually I just hit 40 weeks, went and saw the new obstetrician that had been transferred to because the other one had gone on holidays. And she was like, oh, you've got low fluid. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? I've got a really bad head cold. Like I'm probably dehydrated. I didn't think much of it, but she was concerned. So I spent the rest of that day like at the ultrasound place, you know, and I started getting the, this baby needs to come out kind of chat. And I was like, well, this baby will come out when she's ready. Like I trust my body. I trust her. But I could just feel the fear of all the people around me starting to build. And I felt really unwell with this head cold. Like, you know, you can't take anything when you're pregnant. I'm having, you know, trouble breathing. And I think I was just running out of fight a little bit. A little bit. I mean, I still fought pretty hard. But, <laughs> but I went home that night and the obstetrician called me and she said, look, <laughs> you know, low fluid is a bit of an issue. I think we just need to have a discussion in the next few days if nothing happens about induction. And I said, I know my baby is okay. I can feel her moving in me. I really want to have this baby naturally. I think I said to her, I know that nobody wants a dead baby and that's what everyone is terrified of. But me mostly is the, per I'm the person who mostly doesn't want a dead baby. So I'm going to trust myself here. And she said, look, I don't ever underestimate women's trust in themselves. You know, like women are amazing and we are good at this. So I did feel like I had her, her backing in that regard. Like she did, she, especially given that we didn't really have a history. So she, I did feel supported by her, but there was still that edging in. So it was like, yes, I trust you. And yes, well, I'm listening, but I also want you to come in tomorrow for some feeding monitoring, you know, still do all the checking and her box ticking. And I guess all of that stuff that keeps them out of hot water when things go wrong um, in terms of litigation and whatnot. So I had a conversation with Lucinda that night and my baby, I was just like, darling, we have to do this. Like, let's do this on our terms. Please come. I don't want to be induced. I'd done all the research on induction and there was no way I was going to be induced and in terms of the cascade of intervention. And so that night I went to bed feeling pretty, pretty distressed and pretty overwhelmed and still just, I think, grieving, like not, not having not having this last peaceful month of pregnancy that I'd hoped for and having to, you know, move away from my, my, my plans of home birthing and whatnot. But lo and behold, I woke up at about one in the morning and I was in labor and I was like, yes, we did it. <laughs> well, we hadn't done much yet, but, but I felt like we had really worked together as a team to start this wow. process, you know, like she'd really heard me. So I went into labor naturally and I felt really, really, good about that it really bolstered me so I labored at home for like the night spent some time in the shower put the tens machine on at about six in the morning things were pretty pretty quick and my mum I was born my mum went into labor with me at like six in the morning and I was born at 11 a.m so I kind of had that story too of this could be quick you know it could be fast and my contractions were pretty close together like probably every three minutes or so, like it all felt pretty forceful. But I think also the first time you're in labor, everything feels so intense. You're like, whoa, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> but I did feel like things were kind of ticking along and we had agreed to go to the hospital to do this monitoring the next day anyway. So at about six in the morning, I said to her, let's go now, let's beat the traffic, like school traffic and stuff and get there and see what's happening. So we did that. 
and they were like, yep, you're in labor, you're labor. And I was like, no shit. Um, <laughs> um, I love when they tell you what's happening in your own body. <laughs> so they kind of just, they monitored me for about an hour, I think. And um, Bubba's, Lulu's heart rate was fine. Everything was you know, good on the machines. And I was, I was always eager to get off the machines. I was like, take me off. I want to stay, I want to stay upright. I want to stay moving. I don't want to be tied to a bed. I don't, I don't want to be a patient. You know, I even, I even struggled with them, like putting tags on me. I was like, I'm not a farm animal. Like, just ask me what my name is. <laughs> and it sounded like from what you were saying before, you don't like that, that feeling of restriction either. No. Of being back in the hospital and, and no, being I really stuck. don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. because I'm like that too. <laughs> Thank you for understanding. I've, so I've got that like difficult patient stamp on me, but I, I don't care. I really don't. I'm like, no, you can. I think I negotiated with the nurse. I was like, put that, put the label on my ankle. I don't want anything on my wrists. I don't want anything on my upper body. Like I want to feel free. Mm. So the obstetrician was happy with how things were. She was a bit like, oh, have your waters broken? I was like, I don't know. Like you telling me I've got low fluid. Like I'm not feeling any gushes. I haven't felt, um, you know, there's a bit of a trickle, but I really don't know. I can't tell you that. And she, she was quite hell-bent on wanting to know that. And I was like, does it really matter? She gave me the option of staying in hospital, like being admitted to an antenatal ward and just labouring, continue to labour there or going back home. And in hindsight, I wish I'd gone home. <laughs> but at the time, it felt like we had mustered so much energy to get all of the bags and my pregnant self in the car at the hospital, blah, 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 that it just felt too much, too hard to go home to only come back and do the thing that was like I was already doing. You know, it just felt like a really big waste of energy sort of to do it that way. So, so I did stay and we were put on this beautiful ward, actually. There was the most, it was a really sunny, like winter Brisbane day. The sky was really blue. I had a beautiful view. And I felt, I felt really good. Like I took a, like took a photo of myself and sent it to my mum and my sister. I was like, I was in labour, I'm in labour. And they were like, you look amazing for someone in labour. I was like, yeah, because I'm not afraid. Like I'm going to do this, I'm going to meet my baby. I was so excited. <laughs> I laboured all day. And I guess it was just that thing of like, I got, I, st- I guess I, it's hard to even put into words. I was excited and I felt like things were progressing, but I guess around nightfall, like when it started to get nighttime and, you know, you know, the obstetrician or a midwife's been popping in every few hours and like, you know, how's it going? Are you feeling anything different? What's happening? And all that I felt was a lot of pressure in my bum. And I wanted to, I wanted someone to say, yeah, that's really normal. But no one, when everyone was sort of just like, okay, well, just tell us if anything changes. I'm like, well, that's the only change that I have. Like, can I get some hearing around that? But no one really ever really validated that. And now I know that that means like there's pressure happening, like baby's moving down. And I could, I could feel her corkscrewing. Like I could feel her moving down throughout the day. I felt like things were progressing, but I think that being interrupted too and having to be cognitive and being like reporting your experience. And I felt like I was, I wasn't giving them the information that they wanted either. Um, I kind of wasn't, you know, fitting the script. And so by nightfall, the obstetrician was like, you know, you've been doing this for, you know, 24, coming up to 24 hours now, you know, what, what are your thoughts? I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, I'm, I feel like I'm okay. I guess I'm getting a bit tired. She's like, why don't you have some food? Had some food. We get to the, I guess it got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm getting a bit impatient. Like you're all asking me what's happening and nothing's really changing. And my contractions had slowed down a lot. And I, said to her like maybe it's because I know it's not going to happen in this room like like at what point do I go to birth suite she's like well I'm you know reluctant to send you there too early because you're on the clock when you're there I was like I understand that and I appreciate that 
But at the same time, I think I'm just a bit like maybe need a change of scenery. And this is the thing, you don't have those options when you're in hospital either. Like you can't, I mean, you can walk around outside and I think, uh, but I, and I did that at one point, but you don't have the same freedom that you do when you're in your home and, <clears throat> and when you're with a consistent caregiver. Like I, there were, I think I met five different midwives on the shifts, that, you know, in terms of the, like, the time I was in labor. So around midnight, my obstetrician was like, look, I want to go home and have some sleep. I'm like, fair enough. <laughs> um, and she said, I think I'd like you to go to birth suite now because then someone, someone's going to have better eyes on you than the ward midwives that are here. And I was like, okay. And I, feel good, I felt good about that too because I was like, maybe when I get to the space where it's going to happen, things will start happening again, like they'll pick up again. So we did. We moved to birth suite and basically I shut down. I was just like, I got to this room and I was like, this is so clinical and so so medical and so scary and so not what I wanted and it was the middle of the night like 1am it was pitch black I couldn't you know I couldn't connect with the environment I didn't know what was around me where I was in the hospital and I got pretty pretty destabilized at that point and you know mentally like I felt like I was really losing it my husband was exhausted (laughs) poor you but also I get that he didn't have like the pain and the endorphins and everything to keep him going but he was just shattered so my like my support person also was kind of tapping out and I just felt so alone at that point and I said to him you have a sleep because I'm going to need you so he had a like awkward he's like six foot four so you know sleeping in a chair is really fun for him I kind of I think I, I tried to have a pep talk with myself and like remember what I'd learned at yoga and whatnot you know like I need to get back into my body out of my brain and I asked for a yoga ball and a yoga mat. And the midwife was sort of like, mm, yeah, I'll see if I can find some things around here. And I was like, aren't you supposed to have these things? Like these are not big requests for a birthing woman, I don't think. So I felt grumpy about that because it was like, I need to do what I need to do, but I don't even have the tools to do it, you know. No one offered any like vaginal examinations <clears throat> to check Oh, yeah, I've been having those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. I've been having those. I'd been declining probably every second one, you know, like they wanted to do it more frequently than I than I was prepared to do. So on entry to hospital, I think I was four centimetres. And when I went to birth suite, I was only six centimetres. So there was also that like, you know, you're not dilating very quickly. But I also, my own research, I was like, I know that that's not a measure of labour. So I was that's why I didn't really want them to do it that much either because I was like, it's not going to help me. It helps you put information on your chart, but it doesn't help me in terms of my process. So stay away from me. <laughs> but I think I probably had four or five ex- vaginal exams throughout my labour. I had a 36-hour labour. Wow. So yeah, I had a bit of a pep talk with myself. The midwife did manage to find some bits and pieces for me. And I did some stretching, like did some cat cows and got on the ground and was starting to feel like things were picking up again. Woke my husband up and said, you need to dance. Like, I need you. Like, come, I'm like, not you need to dance. Like, you need to dance with me. I was like, do a dance for me, monkey. You know? Like, no, I need you to dance with me, like sway, you know, like I need some oxytocin. Come on, man. Kiss me. Yeah, basically. Love on me, even though I'm like an angry laboring woman. Oh, poor man. I, I really think um, my man really struggled in this birth space. Like this was hard for him too. He came out quite traumatised as well. Um, yeah, so, so then we had like that early morning midwife the um shift change and the midwife that had been there overnight was pretty she was just a bit vanilla I don't know she was just nothing nothing sort of she didn't really help but she didn't hinder either she's kind of stayed out of my way 
But the next midwife that came in was like, she'd read my birth plan as soon as she got in the room. And she was, she looked me in the eye and she's like, oh, I can, I know what kind of birth you want. Like, I can see what you're trying to do here. Like you've been going for so long. You're so amazing. Like, you know, you haven't had any pain relief. Like you're amazing. And, and she really pepped me up and I was like, finally, someone gets it. <laughs> Mm. and she was amazing and she helped me she was like you know we need to get this baby like down and out we need to pick up your contractions and I really appreciated her energy and it felt like she was someone who was really gonna like walk with me and I and who got me and she got me like you know starting to like put my leg up on on a chair for like alternating contractions try and open up my pelvis try and get Bob to come down and it was all kind of started, it did pick up and things were ticking along, but I was fatigued. Like we are 30 hours in, you know, I haven't slept for two nights now. And I was starting to run out of, out of energy, I think. And I, and my, I guess the fear that was coming up for me was I haven't even done the hardest part and I am so tired. <laughs> and this head cold that I had was really interfering too in terms of breathing. Like I couldn't breathe my baby down like I had practice because I couldn't take a proper deep breath and, and breathe in through my nose. I was mouth breathing. My obstetrician had said to me, you know, when I got to birth, which was like, I'd like you to stop eating now. I'm like, eating is my only source of energy. Like my husband was plying me with mandarins. Like, you know, when you're sick, you just want something fresh in your mouth. I think I ate like a dozen mandarins during this, this labor. <laughs> so this midwife came up to me and she was like, look, I can see what you want to do. And I think you can do it. I believe in you, you know, but I think you need to rest. And so she suggested that I have an epidural. And I was like, I didn't want to do that. She's like, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> But she suggested I have an epidural to give myself some rest and the ability to keep going on the path that I wanted to do. So I believed her and I, it seemed like a pretty appealing thing at the time in terms of, you know, having some rest and being able to still reach the goal of having my baby naturally. But it was the beginning of the end when I look back. I mean, I lost my body at that point. Like once you're paralyzed, you can't do anything. You, I mean, you're a prisoner in your own body kind of thing. So yeah, I had I had an, an epidural. I remember the anesthetist was lovely. She was chatty and she was a good energy as well. I mean, so like you know, the actual experience of having an epidural wasn't awful, but once I was in bed on monitors, couldn't move my body, I I think mentally then I just started to really crack. And then things were offered more happily. I took the things that were offered to me more willingly. So the midwife was, you know, was like, okay, so I can see you, you know, really you're struggling a bit at the moment, you know, like I was like, it's just so painful. Like and now I can't move and I had a lot of back pain. And I think looking back, she was probably posterior at that point. And I, she was like, why don't you try some gas? And I was like, okay. I tried some gas and then mentally I was checked out. Like, I mean, it, it helped, but I was high effectively. And like, you're not in a decision-making place or the ability to really even, I don't, well, I don't think I could have birthed my baby very capably when I was high. Like, so yeah, I think I just got further and further away from myself effectively. It was discussed with me to try some Syntocin to speed up the process and I agreed to that, but before they even got the IV into me, Lulu's heart rate started sort of dipping and whatnot. And I was like, at that point, I think I just waved a red white flag. I was like, you know what? I don't know how to get her out of me. And I'm so stuck now in this process. And I, I know that to get her, to leave this room, I need to have a baby. And I don't know how to do that now because I've lost all my power. And so you need to cut her out of me. And I just, I gave up basically. I just, I felt so defeated. And I think my husband felt horrible for me as well because this was so, so far from what we had envisaged. And to see me like that was really difficult for him. I think he said, he's told me. Um, 
yeah, so then it was just action stations, you know, like he was taken away and dressed for theatre. I was, you know, shaved, um, cathetered, all these things. And I just was crying. I just felt so, so defeated. And I remember saying, I wanted an intervention free birth. And I've had every intervention in the book now, you know, like it just felt like everything had been taken from me. And it was awful, really, really awful. And I was still trying to, like, be excited to meet my daughter so that it wasn't an awful day for her, you know. You know, forms were signed. And I even questioned all of that consent process. Like, how much was I really capable of signing consent? You know, my husband said to me afterwards, did you read those? I was like, no. He said, you know, there's a part in there about, you know, if you die or, or, you know, we're not responsible or, you know, if you bleed out, we'll take your uterus and we're there. And he's like, you didn't know what you were signing. I'm like, no, I really didn't. (laughs) You don't in that moment. And I think he found that really difficult as well to have to witness. Yeah. So, yeah, so I was wheeled into theatre and I said to my obstetrician, can you just talk to her kindly when you pull her out? Like I want her to have like a gentle way of coming into the world. And she was like, yeah, but I'm, I mean, I don't really know what I, I don't think, I, I think I was asking for things at that point that no one could really give, you know, like I just, I want it to be. I wanted to be her mummy and I had to give that power away though as a birthing person. And there was nothing really ever wrong with us either. But anyway, that was, that was stuff I had to process afterwards. So we went into theatre and I was really struggling with pain. Like, I mean, the epidural worked, but I still was having a lot of contraction pain. Maybe it was too low or something. I don't know. But I, even on the operating table, like I was like, I am feeling things. And they were like, what are you feeling? I was like, you know, they're like, it's normal to feel some tugging stuff. I was like, no, I'm feeling like pain up around my ribs. And I think it was like my uterus contracting and trying, still trying to labor, even though the, the process had been become surgical. So I found that really difficult. Like I still, I asked for the gas when I was still in, on the, um, in theater because I was struggling so much with the pain. And the anesthetist said to me, like I, she said, I can give you a bit more pain relief. I was like, yep, give me whatever you got. Like, we're in this now and she's at one point she said the next step is to like knock you out basically like to put you under completely and I was like no I don't want that so I kind of just like caught myself and <clears throat> tried to be with the experience as much as I could but it's, it's so disorienting because you can you know that something's happening behind the curtain and you can feel things happening to your body even though they're not painful stimuli and you but I, I couldn't marry it with what was happening in my mind and what I was feeling it's I mean it's it's true trauma like it's that dis, disintegrated experience that your brain can't make coherent sense of they pulled a head out and I saw I remember seeing my obstetrician's eyes kind of bug a bit and afterwards and they paused at that point and afterwards Rod told me that I had a contraction and it, like my uterus kind of constricted her neck like it went around her neck and they had to wait for that contraction to finish to pull the rest of her out <laughs> so she was a bit she had like um I, her eyes were a bit bloodshot like she, and I, I mean she came out screaming she didn't need oxygen but it was I think there was just a moment for the doctor where she wasn't expecting my uterus to do that at that point in time so they pulled her out they did some quick checks. She was on me pretty quickly. I didn't have to wait long, but it wasn't wasn't immediate like I wanted. They didn't do de- delay cord clamping like I wanted. All that stuff was just thrown out the window. But that's when that was in your birth plan, yeah, that you had discussed with your obstetrician prior. <clears throat> yep, and I had a birth plan for a vaginal birth, and I had a birth plan for for an um, unexpected cesarean. So it was all in there. I wanted to see and keep my placenta, 
I didn't get to do that. They, no one showed me. I mean, I probably wasn't really in a state, but it was put on formaldehyde. So, you know, put in chemicals. So um, I couldn't take it home. I couldn't do anything with it. All of those things were disregarded. Yeah. But I must say, once she was on me, I mean, I was still struggling with pain, but once she was on me, a lot of my stress dissipated. I felt like, oh, thank God, like she's here, she's screaming, she was looking for the boob, like, and I just, I knew that she was okay. I always knew she was okay, but it was so nice to see that in reality. And I, I guess I was just, I had that feeling like, okay, we're through that awful experience. I mean, I wasn't really, but you know, we're through that and now you're here and now I can get back on, on my own path, but you're still so debilitated after having a cesarean really. So, so I got to have like skin to skin and they left me on her while they stitched me up. And she did feed, she did poo on my chest. She was right at home. And that was, yeah, again, like I didn't want it to look like that, but it was that amazing rush of like my baby is here and she's safe and I'm a mum, you know. And they gave her to Rod. I met them in recovery. They wheeled me into recovery. And they kept, you know, talking about, you know, you might feel a bit woozy, you might pass out. But I think there was just so much adrenaline coursing through my system that I was like, alert like so wide and I I was also like I'm not going to pass out because this is the most important one of the most important days of my life you know like I wouldn't let myself go to that place um but when I look at the photos I look whacked you know like my eyes I'm pinned with meds and fear and certainly not in a very good mental state but at the same time I, I I knew I don't know I knew that she was here and that I could I could pick up the pieces, I guess. The midwife, so they took us up to the ward. She, we did skin to skin. I don't think we dressed her till about eight o'clock that night. So we did a lot of skin to skin, really, for a cesarean. She nursed really well, really happily from the beginning. The midwife that had been in birth suite with, sorry, in birth suite, yeah, with me that morning came up and saw me on the ward that night and was like, you, you know, you did it. I was like, not really. I didn't, but she's here and that's important to me right now, you know. But she was really... Um, yeah, I, that was really meaningful to me that she came and sort of closed the loop and came and saw me and she was like, do you, do you need anything? I was like, I'm so sweaty and itchy and uncomfortable and they won't let me drink water and I was dehydrated and she she said, let's get you out of this you know, yucky gown that you've been in since theatre and um, gave me a bit of a bird bath and wiped my back down and those little acts of caring when you're that vulnerable are really, really powerful. Yeah. So, yeah, that was our birth. <laughs> mm. And afterwards, did your mm. obstetrician, did you sit down with your obstetrician and talk about your birth? <clears throat> Not really. She knew it wasn't what I wanted, but I think she always knew that was how it was going to go. I think she, you know, like when labour was long, I think she knew that's where it was going to end up. And she was sympathetic to me not having the birth I wanted. But she was also sort of focused on the rhetoric around you got a healthy baby and you were both safe. I'm like, yep, theoretically. <laughs> yeah. There's no discussion about how you're feeling nope. about your birth. No, nope. not really, no. And I didn't really even feel compelled to discuss it with her given I didn't have a long-term relationship with her in my pregnancy. And when she suggested at my six weeks follow-up that, you know, I was a few years at that point overdue from my pap smear and we do it that day. And I foolishly agreed. And I've, you know, I've got a speculum in me and my baby's screaming in the pram next to me. And I'm thinking, why did I agree to this? This was the stupidest thing I've ever done. I just, I just, I never spoke to her again after that. I just thought, I know that it's important, but at the same time, what a terrible suggestion to a new mum. Like, that was awful. So I kind of lost a bit of respect for her after that. (laughs) 
It's interesting. You don't even feel like compelled to bring up things that were, you know, not missed out on your birth plan that were clearly in there as well. It's, you're just vulnerable at that time. And sometimes it's easier to look the other way and just go, you know, it's not worth yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I knew that. Yeah, exactly. I knew I was up against a system that's very entrenched in the way it operates. I'm not going to be a trailblazer and try and change it. That was why I didn't want to be in it in the first place. And I guess once like you know, like my obstetrician came around the next day and after I'd birthed, so she was yeah, born on Wednesday afternoon at 1.45 and she came around the next morning about 6am and she said, you were a real trooper. Like I've actually, you know, what you did without pain relief and for the length of time you did was really impressive. And I said to her, thank you. When can I go home? Like I just wanted to get out of the hospital. And she was like, well, you're standing, you know, you need to do a wee, all those things. I was like, yep, tell me what I need to do and I will do them like I'm getting out of here. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and we came home two days later so so yeah I think I just I need I felt like my 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 journey kind of really started when we got home I felt like I couldn't really relax into it and be be myself until I was back in my nest and I knew my healing would begin there and I because I'm a developmental psychologist I had thought about what kind of mom I wanted to be I knew what my parenting values were before I became a mom and I think I just focused on that you know I was like okay I didn't get the birth I wanted and I'll figure that out in time I knew I needed to process it I knew it was going to be really raw and it still is but I knew that what was important or what was important to me at that point was just being the mum that I wanted to be and healing through that and focusing on us being successful at breastfeeding and so looking back I completely overcompensated in that regard (laughs) because that's what you do (laughs) but there's nothing too wrong about being a really attuned, responsive parent either. So it's not a bad way to heal either. <laughs> Do you want to take us through sort of your, I guess, reflections on your first birth? And did you feel that for subsequent pregnancies that you had an idea of what you wanted to do differently based on what your first birth was like? Yeah, I did. So I remember like even a week after birth, you know, standing in the shower, holding my, my tummy, you know, feeling like, feeling like you've been cut open because you have. <laughs> and wondering how I was ever going to have a baby vaginally when I had had so much faith in my body and I didn't have, I didn't carry fear into that birth. I mean, I did subconsciously, but not, you know, I had prepared myself in a way that I didn't feel frightened. I wondered how I was ever going to trust my body again to do what she needed or what I wanted her to do, given that I felt like she'd failed me. My, my processing of the birth and the people that I connected with afterwards who's, who have helped me heal, I guess, or have given me that space to figure it all out, has helped me understand that really my body didn't fail me, the system failed me, which is so many of the stories of, you know, um, <clears throat> unnecessary caesareans, I think. So I think that helped me forgive a bit, you know, and have some compassion for my my body. I saw a really incredible body worker on the Sunshine Coast who really helped me. She does like internal work and marries it with your psychological experience. And that was really helpful, you know, in terms of like where energy gets stuck in your body and what you're holding on to, you know, but, you know, trauma stays in our body. It's, you know, encoded in our cells kind of thing. I figured out through that that even though... It wasn't the birth I wanted. It was the birth I needed to have because I hadn't learned to listen to myself yet. As much as I had a vision of the birth I wanted, I still was, I didn't have that mother's intuition or my own voice that wasn't loud enough to be able to stand up for myself and advocate for myself and say no and, and create the experience that I wanted. So 
and that, you know, the system even is not really to blame, that at the end of the day, I have to be responsible for myself and my circumstances and put myself in situations where the outcomes are going to be more likely to be go the way I want them to be. So that was really, that was hard work to do, but it was really powerful and it certainly helped me restore, yeah, my faith in myself and even just be less blamey of the system because it's not really the system's fault either. I mean, the system's designed to work exactly as it does. It provides opportunities for women to birth in captivity if that's what they want, you know? And it's just not it's just not what I wanted, basically. So yeah. So I think when this guy came into the world or into my womb, I knew I wanted to do it differently. And I did. I guess I was a lot more connected to myself. I mean, I mean in some ways, I mean it grew over the course of the pregnancy. I got a lot stronger mentally in myself. When I look at like the email that I sent the, the, the midwife that I ended up having for my home birth, I look back at that and it was, I was still questioning, you know, like, can I have a home birth after I've had a cesarean? Whereas now I would say I can have a home birth after any birth because I get to decide that about my body and, and about what, what me and my baby do. So I guess I was still in that place of questioning, wondering, a little bit timid to begin with. But over the course of the pregnancy, my, my faith in myself really grew. And the midwife that I connected with really trusts birth. She was an incredible advocate and she didn't display any fear around what I was attempting to do. She was like, you can do it. Like, she was even like, I don't, I don't even really need me to be there for you to do it. Like, your body knows what to do. And having, that, having someone believe in you like that is really profound. And I got a doula. So it's based on how my husband handled birth. I was like, <laughs> um, I'm going to bench you next time, mate. Like, <laughs> it's not your strong suit, darling. And now we've got a little person in the mix. So you can be her support person <laughs> and keep her busy. And I created a birth team that was like out of this world, basically. I had a midwife. I had a doula. And I had a friend who was also a pregnancy yoga teacher and a massage specialist. So I had this incredible team of women that I knew I would never feel alone. I would never feel unsupported. I would, I would have women to walk with me when I felt frightened or when I felt doubt show up, you know. Mm. And I kind of covered all the bases in terms of someone there for emotional support, someone there for physical support and someone there to manage things if they were did go unexpectedly I guess so creating that team helped me feel incredibly safe and working with these women through pregnancy too like you know my doula did a lot of spiritual work with me around you know my mum's experience of birth and then how that's transmitted to me and my first experiences of menarche I think like the birth prep I did with Lucinda was like very textbook whereas the birth prep I did with Dylan was about leaning into my own intuition and my own instincts and lots of meditation and listening to my voice and knowing that at the end of the day I know what's best for me and my baby and that's not that knowing is an embodied sense it's not even like a cognitive thing it's just a yeah an energy so that helped enormously my catchphrase around VBAC is that you don't know that you can do it until you've done it, but you have to believe you can do it to do it. And so it's this strange paradox. That's, that's very <laughs> and, true. Yeah. So like, I, you know, there was always those little seeds of doubt, you know, like what if I have to transfer to hospital? But I didn't, I didn't put any energy there physically this time. Like I never packed a hospital bag. I never booked into a hospital. I never, 
like mentally said to myself, here's my backup plan. I was always like, this is going to happen at home because I trust my body. I trust my baby. I trust the women around me. And I know that I can do this. But I didn't know I could do it till I'd actually done it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had a conversation with myself around like if I did end up in another cesarean that I wouldn't beat myself up about that, that I wouldn't perceive it as another failure, but that I, but also that I had done it once and I knew I could do it again. It wasn't what I wanted, but I knew that I would be able to, you know, get through it, recover from it. And it would be disappointing, but not, you know, horrendous or re-traumatizing. I think I had to minimize my, my fear around that to some extent or rationalize it a bit. Did you do any other preparation? Like, did you do any physical preparation that was different? No. I did, cool, a bit more, okay. I did a bit more prenatal yoga probably from about the 30-week mark. But, I mean, I had an, uh, an 18 month at home, so it was really mm-hmm. hard to get away to do things. We didn't, yeah. So, no, I didn't do any physical preparation, any more birth work. Did yeah, you do no, the sorts of things that you didn't want going into the second birth? <laughs> um, yep, I didn't want any vaginal exams and I didn't have any. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> that was the main thing probably. In your mind was uterine rupture a concern or was it not really a factor no it wasn't a factor for me i saw remember i'm um, seeing like you know you end up following a lot of birthy accounts on instagram when you go through this stuff <laughs> and i remember <laughs> i remember seeing that statistic flipped around you know like you know you, you've got a what is it like point what is the actual statistic so 0.5 i think 0.5 percent yeah, yeah. So that means you've got a 99.5% chance of it not happening. And I remember when I saw that flip around, I was like, oh, why would you worry about that? (laughs) Yeah. When you were planning for your, even your first birth, Mm. you know, in hospital, there's all these sort of routine tests, I suppose, that they recommend, you know, there's the gestational diabetes test, there's a Mm -hmm. B-strep that happens around 36 weeks. In a home birth, do Mm. midwives tell you about these tests and and how did you approach them? It was was discussed with me in both pregnancies. I I never had a gestational diabetes test. I did my own research around that. I think a lot of women end up being diagnosed incorrectly. Like there's a lot of inflation of... It's a really artificial way of testing things like too. Obviously, your body's going to spack out if you have a really sugary drink. So, yeah, I never did that test. And... I never did the group B. It was discussed with me with Lulu because I was in the hospital system at that point. But I no, I did do the group B test, but I was I was a bit, do I have to? You know, I tried to fight it. But I did do it, but it came back clear, clear so that was all fine. So with Dylan's pregnancy, this I said, like I said, this this midwife had a different philosophy. She because she doesn't because she's primarily home birth and doesn't have like any hospital admitting rights, she's not beholden to that system. So she doesn't, she doesn't have to, I was going to say force women to do things, which sounds really awful, but I think there is a lot of forcing that goes on. But basically if I said no, she just documented that and said, okay, that was my choice. So she didn't even weigh me. Like I remember we had a conversation and I was like, I don't know what I weigh because I never really got on the scales between, you know, like getting past the last birth and getting pregnant again. And she was like, I don't need to know what you weigh. What an intrusive question. It doesn't matter. <laughs> And I was like, oh, that's so refreshing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so we didn't do any of that testing. I did do the 20-week scan, but that was the only ultrasound I had. I didn't really want a lot of ultrasound technology involved in this pregnancy, so she used a fetoscope when we did checkups in, in pregnancy. The only time I had the Doppler was in birth. So do you want to get started with little Dylan's 
Bird story? Yeah, sure. <laughs> How are you? So, you're obviously feeling really good in a good headspace, right? Yeah, and like, yeah, absolutely. And it was a lovely lead up to this birth. Lulu and I had been having lots of lovely home time. I had some of that pelvic pain, so I had been pretty, taking it pretty easy. And I've been blessed with a toddler who doesn't demand to go to the park or is too <laughs> busy. So she and I were just doing lots of Lego and reading books. And we, we were reading books about home birth and preparing. And we had a lovely calm time leading up to this and I think too knowing that if you know you go into labor at home you don't have to go anywhere it's it's just takes a whole like component out of the mix you don't have to worry about bags or being prepared or the car being fueled up or there's all these things that you don't have to think about when you do it at home you just gotta make sure you've got enough towels you know <laughs> yeah and was um, it COVID around this time as well yeah, yeah yeah so Dylan was born on the day they closed the borders did you feel like your decision to home birth was sort of extra validated if you know if it absolutely yeah yeah big time because my my family were quite I wouldn't say unsupportive of home birth but they were fearful around me home birthing there were a lot of what ifs and you know what's the plan if you do have to go to hospital I'm like I don't have a plan for that and that terrified my mom <laughs> so when yeah COVID was hit and everyone you know they were closing hospitals or, or think you know reducing people in wards and and people were sick in hospitals I was said to my pet mom you know like wow it's a really good time to not have a baby in a hospital and she was like I actually think you're right <laughs> so it was very validating and a few people have actually said to me, like, did you do home birth because of COVID? But it was always my plan. So, yeah, so we had a lovely, like, lead up to, to this guy coming into the world. Um, very peaceful. And I had about 24 hours of, you know, like, um, tightenings and feeling like it was kind of imminent. And, be, and be, you know, because when you, when, as a woman, I think, when you learn to listen to your intuition, she's a powerful force you know like it's you kind of know like I I knew he was imminent I looked at myself in the mirror after that the night before he came I had a shower and looked at my you know glorious naked body and I just thought to myself I am so ripe like this baby is around the corner I know I'm going to bed tonight and tomorrow night I will have a baby you know I just kind of sensed it and I was right. I woke up at about three in the morning and I couldn't ignore the sensations. They had become quite intense and they were feeling quite productive. I got up and had a shower and I contacted my two support birth women, not my midwife. I contacted my doula and my friend and I said, today's the day. Can you come over and make me cups of tea and rub my, rub my feet now, please? <laughs> I'd, like some, I'd like some women. <laughs> and how many weeks were you? Sorry, Michaela. Oh, I was 40 and three days. Okay, cool. Yeah. And Lulu was born at 40 and two. So they were very similar. So I woke right up and said, you keep sleeping, but the women are on their way. And I went and got into the birth space. There was one thing I hadn't done. I had everything in the birth space was prepared. I had an altar, the birth pool was all set up, whatnot. But I had wanted to write some affirmations on the mirrored doors. I, I birthed in my daughter's playroom. And so I did that really early in the morning. I had like drawn a little picture and done some affirmations was the last thing on my to-do list. And then my, my ladies showed up. They got there kind of really early morning, like about, you know, 5.36 in the morning. And my friend, the, it was so comforting. The first thing she said to me, I was sort of like, I was starting to like, you know, vocalise it like a little bit, trying working through the contractions. And she said to me, it's my instinct to put my hand on your back and rub your back, but I don't want to do anything you're uncomfortable with. And I was like, that sounds amazing. Like, follow your instincts. <laughs> <laughs> 
And all day, this beautiful woman had her hands on me. Like I never, I had my TENS machine pulled out to use, but I didn't need it. She was like a human TENS. She was incredible. A um, human TENS. Yeah. I like the sound just, of that. <laughs> just her touch was just so soothing and so helpful. And it's just that, that, that real piece of not wanting to feel alone. I never felt alone because she was always, you know, by my side or behind me or helping me really intuitively. And my beautiful doula was just similarly, like every time I opened my eyes, she was there, you know, making that beautiful eye contact of, you know, you're doing this. I I believe in you. I know you believe in you. You're going to meet your baby today. And there was that excitement that I had in my first labor, but it was a more contained excitement. I, I, I think I was a lot more grounded in this labor. I was more prepared to listen in and work with what was happening. The body worker I'd worked with on the coast had talked to me about birth being like a, a life force energy that you have to let, allow to come through you. And that was a really helpful visual for me because I, I visualized, you know, the energy coming down, down my, through my head, into my chest, into my womb and out of my yoni. And I used that, that visual and vocalizations to really bring the energy down. It kind of fits with my, my work too in terms of like pain and, and tension is energy that wants to move up out of your body like that. Kind of sensations, mm. and we need to bring it down and keep it grounded for it to be productive and helpful to bring babies out. So everything kind of came together there; it would integrate it really nicely. So yeah, when I felt myself wanting to come up out of the experience, I used these tools to to ground myself into it and work with it instead of against it. So I laboured all morning. The ladies were wonderful. You know, we're sitting in and out of the shower a bit. About midday, I said to them. When do you think we call the midwife? You know, I, I looked out of myself a bit at that moment and my beautiful doula said to me, well, when you feel ready, like, you know, that's your call. She was always, these women gave me my power back in a way that I didn't have in my first labour, which was really healing too. I said, maybe I'll call her and see, you know, if she hears me, she might be able to make a call. I think I had that thing of like, I wanted to feel like everybody was there before I could really lean into the last part of the experience. Like there's that, those, those little steps or like, like last bits and pieces, like, you know, labor's progressing, but when the midwife comes then it's kind of like, well, then there's a baby is imminent sort of thing. So I called my midwife. She listened to two contractions and she said, okay, I'm going to pack my bag and see you in about an hour. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so I think things were pretty, pretty heavy by that point. I mean, and this, this labor was so different too, in terms of, I never looked at a clock, that big red clock in the birth suite that haunts me. I tell you, like, wait, what a way to make women feel like they're on the clock by putting a huge red clock in the room where they're birthing and with like the second count over and everything, you know? <laughs> Um, so I never, I never looked at a clock in this labor because I was home. I kind of, I, I sensed the time of day from the way the light moves in our house. And I knew when it was like midday, I knew when it was mid afternoon and around, I think my midwife arrived around one o'clock or maybe one thirty ish. And I think my water's released. I've, I've got this from her notes. My water released at 3 PM around three o'clock. And that was, re- that was a huge relief because I was feeling a lot of pressure and I was feeling a bit impatient. I was, I had this, you know, I've been going for a while at that point of 12 hours ish. And, you know, I had that feeling like, Oh, if I have to do this all through the night. It's going to be really hard <laughs> another night. And cause I'd had a long labor. I was kind of prepared for that, but at the same time, I didn't really want it to be that long again. But I had this feeling like I just wanted to come before, di- before dinner. Like what if we all could all just sit around the dinner table tonight and have a meal together? Wouldn't that be lovely? <laughs> 
Um, so I got a bit impatient. I was like, come on, baby, come on, come on down. Like, you know, it's time. So when my waters released, that was a huge, like, pressure release. And I was in the birth pool at that point. And the, the feeling, the, the pressure of your waters releasing was so profound. I actually was, was like, was that my baby? I was like, oh, is that really intense? <laughs> but, yeah, so that also just gave me that feeling like, okay, things are, things are happening. We're getting closer. And, yeah, I think so then there was a point where I did feel that, that you know, those seeds of doubt creep in and looking back that was transition. And I said to my birth team, I feel like I'm failing. And I thought about my mum and having to have a conversation with her about how my home birth had failed and I had to go to hospital and I just shut it down. I was like, no, this is not how my, like in my mind, I didn't have this conversation out loud. It was all in my mind. I was like, no, that's not how my birth is going. I have not prepared for hospital. So we're not going to hospital. My baby is going to come out here. And at that point, instinctually, I think I was like, I need a bit of a change. I'd been on my knees leaning over the birth pool the side of the birth pool and I stood up and I leant on um, my friend for a few contractions and her out was hard. Like it was, I was so, it was so exhausting standing up when you've been supported by water. Um, but I think it was what I needed just to shift the energy a little bit. And she had guided me a little bit around like um, poking my feet out or ankles in or out. I can't remember now, but it was a way just to get my pelvis to open up more. And then I was like, okay, that's lovely, but it's also really hard. So let's get back in the water. <laughs> Um, and I got back in the water facing outwards and I instinctually the whole labor, I knew I needed to be more open, but I think my positioning was very protective because I was, I was carrying the fear of last time. Like I didn't want anyone to sabotage my birth. I didn't want anyone to interfere with me. I wanted it to be my experience, but so my positioning was quite protective, you know, leaning over, crouching, but I needed to be more open to get baby to come out. So I, I got on my on my back or sort of on my, I guess, sitting up in the birth pool, leaning back. And I had my doula on one side, friend on the other, and my, the midwives were on a couch at the back of the room just watching, observing. My husband and my daughter had come into the room by this point. My husband said that they could no longer ignore my roars. Um, mm. The, the neighbour said from about 4pm onwards they heard, they heard some sounds. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> and, yeah, I think I just moved through that feeling of, like, this is hard and it's intense and I really lent into it and I felt him then starting to really come move into my birth canal and come down and I birthed his head and I screamed I screamed I fucking did it I did it like I was like I'm done but I wasn't but in so did my you, mind did you feel like his head coming out did you know that his head yeah, was I, out yeah I felt him crowning oh, wow. did you feel the yeah. ring of fire as they say or was it different no no I felt I mean I felt a lot of sensation but I didn't I couldn't I wouldn't describe it as that ring of fire mm. I think maybe in the water it's a bit diminished I don't know but I yeah it, and it, I felt I mean it felt stretching and I felt pressure and I felt like I felt like I just wanted to like shuttle him out of me, but I also knew I needed to slow down. <laughs> um, and one of the midwives was like, okay, just take a breather. Like I was like, oh yeah, I need, I know, I need to slow. I know, I know, please remind me, like <laughs> stay in this with me. I am breathing, but I also just wanted to keep pushing. So I had to, you know, catch myself a little bit there. But yeah, once his head was out, I was celebrating already. Like, yes. <laughs> I, you know, I was like, fucking awesome. And then looking back, I'm like, I hadn't even finished the job. <laughs> but it felt like I had. So yes. And then there was this lovely period between, there was probably, I've got like an amateurish video that one of the midwives took, which I just adore having, of when 
just after he'd crowned to when he's born. And so I've been able to piece it together in retrospect. But so between his head coming out and the rest of him, it was probably three or four minutes. Like it was quite a long period of time, but it was so peaceful. And it was this beautiful space. I got to really like enjoy just that last bit of birth, knowing that he was, he was going to come out of me that way. He was safe and that I had done it. And... I just felt so held in love at this point, like all of my people around me, all of these beautiful women that had walked with me and supported me and prepared, helped me prepare for this birth. My husband and my daughter, you know, on the side there, on the side of the pool, just waiting and watching. And it was just the most profoundly peaceful, powerful moment of my entire life. It was incredible. And then I felt like that sense of, okay, the next contraction is going to come and I knew it was going to be the last and, I just, he just kind of slipped out and my husband and my midwife kind of caught him together and they put him on my chest and I just looked at him and said, you're perfect, like you're here. And we did it. <laughs> and it was incredible. It was so incredible. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> I think it was healing for all of us. Like, you know, my, even my daughter got to see, you know, a birth and a really normal birth, a really calm, peaceful birth. At one point she was you know, driving a Lego car over my head in the birth pool. Like for her, it was just <laughs> another day in the playroom. <laughs> it would be so um, interesting to hear her recollection because I, I, I don't know, a two-year-old, my earliest memory is visiting my sister in hospital when she so was mine. I was two. So was mine. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. I was three, but I remember that too. That's yeah. fascinating. First, first yeah. memory. So I wonder if Lucinda will remember it. It's I wonder too. Highly possible. She does talk about like when Dylan came out of my vulva. Like she, she's got some wow. narrative around it. She even yeah. has the lingo down pat. <laughs> well, we read, read a lot of books about home birth. She knows what a placenta is. She knows oh, about cool. midwives. <laughs> In terms of your placenta, was that a managed third stage or? Once I, he was out of me, I was like, okay, I'm ready for a shower. Like I was so hot and sweaty. And I really just wanted to get clean and like get into bed and snuggle. <laughs> um, that was part of my visioning too. You know, like when you have a birth at home, you can just, you know, get, get nice. to that place a lot faster. Yeah. So I got out of the pool and I had a couple of big bleeds and my midwife kind of just kept an eye on that. And she was like, I think if we can get this placenta out, this will stop. And I was like, yep. Okay. So let's work on that. And um, they use some, we use some tinctures, some homeopathic stuff. They rubbed my legs with cypress oil. I tried sitting on a birth stool, but the old placenta was a little bit stuck. She just, she was hanging on for some reason. I tried, you know, some, some ritual stuff. I said, you know, maybe I just need to go in the shower and squat, but I'd had a few bleeds at this point and I was getting a little bit woozy and they kept saying, are you feeling okay? Are you feeling okay? And I kept saying, yes, I am. But then my midwife, one of the, the second midwife, said to me, I know you say you're feeling okay, but you just passed out in my hand. And I was like, oh, okay. So they were like, so we need to get this placenta out. I was like, okay. They asked me if I would consent to a Sintosin injection to try and help it out. And I was like, oh, I really don't want to do that. Like I wanted, you know, everything to be natural. And they were like, okay, well, the options are that or you're probably going to look at, we're probably looking then at a transfer to, you know, do this in hospital. And I was like, okay, I'll take the injection. It was presented very gently, you know, like this is the trajectory on kind of thing. And it was so gently done too in terms of like, he was never taken from me the whole time. Like he was on my lap in the, on the couch at this point. 
And even when I was passed out, no one ever took him from me. So I didn't feel threatened, even though there were some things happening that I was a little bit out of touch with and that needed to be handled. So I was given the Sinto injection and like three minutes later, my midwife gave a little tug on it and it came out. So there were a couple of adhesions on it. So she thinks maybe it was just a little bit stuck. But once it came out, the bleeding stopped and I came like I had something to eat. And an hour later, I was up conversing and feeling okay. Yeah, yeah. So... And like we talked about it afterwards and she said, you know, if that happened in hospital, you would be like IV fluids, you know, baby separated from baby would have been panic stations at that point. Mm. So I was very grateful for how it was handled. I didn't get my shower though, because I was, I was quite woozy from the blood loss. Mm. And so I was advised to stay horizontal for the rest of that night. He was born at 5.23 in the afternoon and my placenta came out at like 6.30ish. So Mm -hmm. Um, just in yeah. time for dinner yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing oh, how the mother's your mothering instincts can kick in even when you're in that scenario like I I came to at one point and they put an oxygen mask on me and I said I looked up and I said I was I realized what was happening and I said where's Lulu I do not want her to see me like this and someone was like oh she's having dinner with you know one of the, the women in the kitchen I was like okay cool but, like, it's amazing that, you, yeah, I could even factor her in in that moment, mm. given what was going on in my body. So, but, yeah, and, again, like having a team of women here, you know, she was safe. She was distracted. She didn't have to witness that moment. It was really cool. So, yeah, and then we all just, like, kind of reconnected with the world. Someone jumped on Facebook and was like, oh, the borders are closed. Oh, life's happening outside of these 12 hours that we've been in the birth space with you yeah and and how did you how did COVID shape your postpartum experience I suppose not not really any differently to tell you the truth (laughs) you're still in isolation yeah I mean exactly like you know postpartum's a natural time of quarantine anyway really so we didn't, I mean, I guess the biggest thing was we didn't have people come and visit. The only people we let in were people that were at the birth. So my doula and my midwife did follow-up care. And they, you know, they, I felt safe having them in my space because they had been here that day anyway. And, yeah, people were probably, if anything, people were more generous in terms of dropping meals at the door and leaving things around and offering support. I really, I craved a hug with my mom, like, mm-hmm. for all our disconnect and differences of opinions about birth and whatnot I just wanted to hug her and be like I did it and for her to squeeze me and go yeah you did you know <laughs> and we didn't get that to like the five-week mark which was a hard wait and um, what was her reaction to the news that you'd done this all on your own at home well she was you- relieved <laughs> she was just relieved that everything had gone to plan <laughs> my great. dad in fact was probably most excited for me because he he was like you know you you had you knew you wanted to do it a certain way and you did it he seemed really proud of me and and proud of my determination and so I felt really that was really lovely to have that from him sorry I was going to ask you did you experience any tears as well or and how was your recovery in general physically yeah so I did um I did have a tear I had a second degree tear my midwife and I looked at the next day when she came and did a follow-up because it all felt I don't know just feels feels swollen and got it just birthy afterwards so I was like no just just leave it alone tonight we'll have a look tomorrow and <laughs> I love I how you said just birthy it just felt birthy <laughs> you know it's just all birthy it's <laughs> <laughs> just been through something you know <laughs> <Big>. <laughs> this and Dylan Dylan was 3.92 kilos 
my daughter was 2.87. I pushed the wrong baby out of me. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's amazing. He's a little unit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so he did not He did do some damage on the way out. So, yeah, I had a look the next day before my midwife did an assessment and I was, I was quite shocked, I must say. Like, you know, you, you only look a certain way your whole life and then all of a sudden you see it after birth and you're like, whoa. Um, <laughs> And, and, you know, she, she was like, look, I've never seen you yoni before your birth, so I don't know what your baseline was, but it looks pretty normal to me and, I, like, normal in terms of afterbirth. And I was like, okay. And she said, I could do some stitching, but it's not really my strong suit and you'd have to have an anaesthetic and stuff at this point. And I was like, let's just let it heal on its own. She's like, is that what your instincts are telling you? I'm like, yeah. So she was like, yep, if you can stay legs closed in bed, horizontal for at least a week, this will all be okay. And I have to say my, my confidence and my awe of my body continued after birth in the way I saw her heal. Cause I looked at her on Monday afternoon and was like, Oh my God, it looks like someone's driven a train through there. And <laughs> Thursday afternoon I looked again and everything had just sealed back up. It was incredible. Like it was mind blowing. I almost wish I'd done it before and after photo, which is disgusting, but I couldn't believe how much healing could happen in such a short period of time. Bless you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and I did lots of things, you know, to care for myself in terms of staying horizontal. My doula came and visited every day for a week and, you know, made me beautiful soups and we upped my collagen and I ate my placenta. We had, I had placenta, we, I say we because my daughter enjoyed them too. We had placenta smoothies for a week. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we ate it raw. Yeah. So I think I did lots of things, you know, nutritionally to help my body heal and resting. And yeah, she's, she's come back to, to normal. She looks exactly like she did before her birth. Apart from the obvious <coughs> that this was a home birth as opposed to your first hospital birth, what was the other key difference between your VBAC and your primary cesarean? Just the support, I think, like having people that I knew and trusted around me rather than strangers who, you know, have your best interests. Well, they say they have your best interests, but you don't know them. You don't have a relationship with them. So, yeah, having people that I knew, being in the comfort of my home, there was just a lot less fear, just so much less fear, ultimately. And in some ways, I probably should have been more fearful because I'm trying to do something harder than I did the first time, but I didn't feel frightened. Such a, such a beautiful journey um, that you've been on with, with Dylan's birth. And it just sounds like he had such a healing and, and wonderful experience. It was so, can I just say it was so healing? I want to do it again. <laughs> Oh, wow. I was just about to ask you that, Michaela. <laughs> I was going to say, would you do it again? I, um, I and knew, did you have I that knew. feeling after you V-backed? Yeah. Like, I, I could actually do this again. I really did. Like, I think actually, I think as soon as you came out of me, I, was, I said to my husband, okay, I've done it. I've proved it. I don't need to do that again. But about three weeks later, I was like, oh, wow. Like, that was just so amazing. Like, I've never felt that powerful in my life, you know, that level of euphoria and achievement and pride and peace and all of those good feelings like balled into one experience it's quite spiritual it's and 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 also just that feeling like every woman deserves to feel like this but yeah about three weeks after he was born and everything was healed up and I was no longer hurting or struggling with hemorrhoids I was like okay let's go again <laughs> <laughs> hemorrhoids we haven't we haven't spoken that. about hemorrhoids yet on the podcast and it's legit <laughs> Very much part of it. And <laughs> part of it, yeah. <laughs> we talk about it with yeah. our friends. <laughs>
But it is good to get hemorrhoids out there in the open public. Oh, yeah. Then, yeah. They, it's a very real thing. Very real. <laughs> yeah. Everything's yeah. got to come out somewhere. <laughs> Congratulations to you. Thank you. And thank you so much for sharing all of your story and the very personal first birth that you had with Lucinda and your reasoning for wanting to home birth. Um, I find that all really interesting and important points that you make about birthing outside of the system it's quite interesting this is medicine this story medicine honestly like these podcasts (laughs) helped me so much in pregnancy so yeah thank you to you ladies for doing this incredible show and providing this opportunity to other women and and providing the opportunity to women to share their stories because it's every time we tell it it's a little bit more healing i reckon thank you thank you you for listening to this back story If you like the show, please subscribe and feel free to leave a review. If you would like to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Be Back Birth Stories. If you have a question or you'd like to express interest in sharing your personal story, email us at vbackbirthstories at gmail.com. VBAC Birth Stories is a podcast where we share women's lived experiences. Please be advised that it's not intended to replace medical advice. If you have any concerns at all during your pregnancy, please always speak to your healthcare provider.